this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Warning, the following broadcast contains adult language, adult content, frank safety discussions, and stories that might sound unbelievable. But believe me, every one of those stories is true. We didn't start the safety war, but we are going to fight to win it. For our families, for our communities, for our workplaces, and for our lives. Uh, there was a article today, on, it was all over the uh, mainstream media all over the uh, weekend on some uh, comments that Vice President Harris had said. What happened was she was being interviewed by someone, not important who it was, and they started to talk about multiple things, about climate change, about this, about that, and everything else. And there was a, as it got reported by some outlets that she said that we would, that there would be equity into taken into account when dispersing natural disaster relief. That had uh, been interpreted by some people. I know this is a little bit swampy here, right? And we're going into the swamp. That this meant that her supporters and things like that would get, uh, and disadvantaged communities would get special treatment. That's not exactly, I listen to this, that's not exactly how I interpret this. And I'm, and everyone I think knows that I don't agree with uh, the administration a lot of things. So we got to be fair here that basically the lower income communities and other at-risk communities were impacted just as much as everybody else. Right, they're impacted just as everybody else. So, their capacity to respond to an emergency may not be the same as everybody else. May not be equally. They may not be able to equally respond. They don't have the capacity often because they don't have the finances. It's easy for you to start saying, "Well, hey, we got no a million. Uh, you know, when you have a million dollars in the bank and you have a modest home, well, guess what." you have some capacity to respond to that emergency. What if you have nothing? You don't have money in the bank. You don't have anything. Now you have to respond to the emergency. Uh, that's a little bit rough here. Uh, that's going to be a little bit rough for you. It's just the way it is. And those are the folks that need a lot of help that obviously they're gonna, probably going to get a lot of them the help first. I know that's controversial me saying that, but... Let's not make an issue out of things that are not an issue. I think every, uh, what I think is admirable is that both sides of the aisle here are working together to respond to this emergency down in Florida. I hope everybody out there is able to respond. I hope they are able to be reunited with their loved ones. They're able to have a little bit of resilience here and everything else that goes along with responding to the to the uh, disaster. I mean, this is not going to be an easy one to get over. They're estimating, uh, I've heard some uh, estimates, over $300 billion for this. So in other news, nothing was issued by OSHA today on or over the weekend, uh, new from what we covered on Friday. Usually they release stories a couple of times a week. Enough, but what, what happened today? The Supreme Court got back into, that's the U.S. Supreme Court, got back uh, into session, and there's already controversy out there 
on this stuff. So uh, uh, this is, uh, right, they're going to be talking, there's going to be a lot of controversial cases, at least five of them. What's safety related here is clean the Clean Water Act. The uh, court is being asked to discard an earlier ruling and loosen the regulation of property under the nation's, nation's chief law to combat water pollution, and that is surface water pollution, and that is the uh, Clean Water Act. Essentially, what the Clean Water Act does is it regulates surface discharges, among other things, to uh, uh, water. And the purpose of the Clean Water Act is to make all waters in the United States fishable and swimmable. And what, what's the point of all of this stuff? Uh, to make it fishable and swimmable would be to, uh, uh, you know, Originally, back when this was enacted back in the early 70s, what they wanted to do was uh, a lot of waters were not swimmable. Take it from someone who swam in the Arthur Kill River in the late 1970s between New York and New Jersey. A lot of stuff was unregulated. There was a lot of sewage being dumped into water. Some rivers, like the, oh, I believe it was the Ohio River in the 70s, were actually literally on fire. So the Clean Water Act was passed, to, to, and first it was enforced primarily on uh, sewage treatment plants and then into effluent discharges. And then eventually, and it was in the law, but it was never really enforced. And I think that's what, the, uh, what pissed a lot of people off here is that now all, there was provisions in there to go against smaller people like farmers, homeowners, and specifically what, what happened was the Idaho couple wanted to build a house on property near a lake without getting a permit under the Clean Water Act. And the outcome could change, right? And depending on the outcome is what it's going to be. What often is the case with here is that this is a takings thing. Where if you have property and the government says you're not allowed to do something, now it's a takings clause. So this is going to probably settle, at least for now, who owns the property, who's in control of the property. Because if you own property but someone else is in control of it, do you really own it? That's usually where these cases and what the thinking is on these. My opinion, uh, I haven't looked at the case close enough to really give a specific comment, but... There has to be a little bit of give, I think, on both sides here with that. Uh, I know uh, with this, there no, something that's equitable, where if they're going to be taking land and restricting the access to land, then perhaps they need to maybe give them a break, throw them a couple of bucks, so a little bit of moolah, maybe have them build somewhere else. Something has to give here because you cannot continue with this a constant conflict in the uh, United States here. It's not good for anyone involved. So the Centers for Disease Control, last, now over the summer, uh, this got past me, was that uh, a little bit, and this is before we were doing the live show. They had uh, issued a report in August, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, on overhauling the uh, agency with what with what basically needs uh, to happen. Now, nobody was really happy with the response of what was going on. 
I think uh, Dr. Richard Vessler said it the best. A lot of the scientists at the CDC are really good at doing science, and a lot of the responders are really good at doing response. But that doesn't mean that they're good at explaining it in ways that would be useful for the general public. So this is a problem that we as safety professionals get. We have to know our audience. We have to know our audience. So, for example, if I'm going to be teaching a safety class to a bunch of PhDs, and that's happened already, I have to approach it like they're PhDs. Really simple. If I'm teaching a safety class to a bunch of folks that are salt of the earth, they're not educated, really nice people, really want to work safe, but you know, they may not have graduated high school, may not have graduated even the eighth grade, uh, what have you, I end up having to I end up ha- I'm sorry, we had a little problem with the website there. That wasn't us. That was the website. Uh, the no, so you have to train to the level of people that you have. So I'm not going to be using those SAT words for somebody who never graduated eighth grade or maybe who might have a slight learning disability. They're still entitled to have safe workplaces. They're still entitled to work safely. They're still entitled and they have the right to use safe workplaces and for training. So you have to approach it from that point of view. And I think that's what happens here. Uh, and he goes on to say, uh, here, all right, Besser, right? That, that doesn't mean that's potentially a problem. And then Dr. Mario Ramirez, who is, uh, worked in the Obama administration said the real challenge that faces the CDC is that it is extremely difficult to communicate complex scientific issues at a speed that is so fast and faster than the Twitter sphere. The margin of error is so small. If you make a mistake on public health, it takes a very long time to regain the public trust. CDC, and there was other issues in here, but basically, as I see it, there's a communication problem. I went back in the, uh, over, no, back in 2020, I had released a whole series of videos on uh, Facebook addressing the mask issues and what the appropriate respiratory protection was. So this is what happened. You have, uh, before the pandemic, if I was going to be faced with a deadly pathogen, pardon me, a deadly pathogen, what would I recommend? I'd always recommend a rated respirator. I wouldn't, re- I wouldn't recommend, depending on what it was in the situation, anything less than a P100, a full-face respirator. Or, maybe, you know, if you're dealing with incidental issues, maybe a half-face respirator, P100. In an operating theater, you have an, a, an additional rating on the respirator, so you have an ASTM rating for liquids. Okay, that's what I would be rating. What did the CDC go out and say? The CDC went out and said, 
Well, you could wear a cloth mask, and people would come in with these imitation uh, respirators and the imitation dust masks, uh, imitation this, imitation that, and guess what would happen? You would have a situation where... You have a situation where you have people with all of this, you know, crazy stuff on, and you'd, you know, now, if I, if you're in a workplace, let's take it there. And if you have a deadly pathogen, you're saying wear a little paper mask, I think OSHA would probably have something to say, and whoever your credential then, whoever your credentialing organization, would have something to say about that. Okay. The next thing is this, communication. And people always laugh about this when I said it because I I used to say a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but this is getting a little bit more serious. So I'm giving lead training under 1926.62 or 1910, and I believe it's 1025, the general industry standard. And what happens? You get this. (laughs) everyone's asleep in class, right? And it's tough keeping people awake for that training, right? And then what happens? You start to go through the effects of what lead are on the body. And you say, well, I have, you you can get heart disease, increased risk. uh, You can get possible birth defects, no response. You flu-like symptoms, yeah. Seven-year half-life in the blood, okay. Uh, zinc portoporphin levels accelerated, and you run through all the litany, you know, lethargy, and all the other stuff. So then what do you get to? It can cause impotence. Everybody, their ears go up. It could cause impotence. Yeah, you can have sexual dysfunction, right? And what happens? And all of a sudden, everybody goes, oh, yeah. Oh, 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 now first it starts off like this. First it starts, hold on. First it starts off like this. You know, and they're laughing, and they're laughing, and they're laughing. And what, 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 ends, what ends up happening, then you're like, yeah, seriously. So let's talk about COVID. I don't think that, especially with the men, that they uh, communicated this. So here we have an article here I'm looking at from National Geographic. Uh, Men may be six times more likely to develop brief or long-term erectile dysfunction after contracting the virus. That's from September 22nd, 2021. Here's another one from a journal. Uh, I'm not exactly sure which one, but in the... uh, Author is Q Zhang, right? Uh, from there, talking about uh, in Turkey, same thing. Sexually, sexual desire and frequency of intercourse is impacted. Then you're looking into another one, right? And this one was cited by 21 different sources. Same thing. And then you have long COVID symptoms may include hair loss and sexual dysfunction. On this one article hair loss ejaculation difficulties and a lower sex drive all this stuff now is going on now do you think that that would probably been an important thing to communicate to the work at least you're going to get 
most men uh, who are vir- viral, not viral, who are viral, are going to uh, be able to are going to be able to uh, relate to that. Maybe their partners might be able to relate to that. That's probably something that needs. That I'm going to tell you, sex sells. You could go, what they should have done, and now we're looking in hindsight, and we have hindsight bias here. No, back 2020, what they could have done was, we're going to take a half an hour out. We're going to get somebody like a certified safety professional, like a certified industrial hygienist, like some uh, one of the other 198 other credentials related to safety out there to try to explain risk to the general public. All right, we have 19 people, 18, 19 people here on Safety FM that communicate risk all the time. They could have gone to us. And now you go, well, we're going to go and we're going to communicate risk in a cogent, authoritative manner. And uh, that's what, you know, that's how you handle it. Dr. Todd Conklin, who's on our network, says when faced with a, a, a crisis like this, what do you have? Three things. This is what we know. This is what we don't know. This is what we're trying to find out, and this is what we're going to do about it. Three things. Real simple. In your own communications with your own workforce on hazards, or work, it could be workforce, it could be community, what have you, this is the other thing that you could do. You could do the same exact thing, all right, with, with that. So we're going to take a little brief uh, commercial break here and we will be back in a jiffy here in the professional safety community communication and planning are just a few keys to your program success the question many practitioners have is where do i start dr j allen the creator of the safety fm platform and host of the rated r safety show has built a global foundation to help you along the way go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals including blaine hoffman with the safety pro Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Pozel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. Safety Wars is streaming now. 
safetyfm.com. Okay, I'm back again. We're going to go into some financial news today. This is the end of the day uh, on for Monday, October 3rd. So here in the United States, all the markets are pretty much closed except for uh, the European and the Far East markets are open. So uh, here we go. Dow Jones Industrial closed at 29,490, up 2.6%. NASDAQ at 10,815 up 2 and a quarter percent. S&P 500 is up uh 2.6% almost, closing at 36,784. US Treasuries are up 3.6% today. Gold is trading at 1709, silver 2114, platinum 927 even and palladium at 2258.50. Bitcoin is up slightly at 19604.37. Crude oil is at 83.36 a barrel. And the euro is at trading at uh, $1 to 1.02 euros. And the pound is at for $1 for 1.13 pounds. So that's your financial info for today. We're going to go right into our main story here. And a couple weeks ago, there was a, let me bring it up here, uh, a convention, for lack of a better word, in San Diego uh, for the National Safety Council. And one thing that comes up with the National Safety Council, uh, no, uh, usually first week of October, last week of September, middle of September, whenever they release it, because October 1st is the beginning of the fiscal year, as fiscal with an F, not, not physical, Fiscal. Anyway, the uh, they come out with the ten top ten most frequently cited workplace standards for the previous year. So this is for fiscal year two thousand twenty two. And like our commercial had said about Maloney from twenty five years ago, I'm still seeing some safety professionals using statistics from twenty five years ago when everything is pretty much updated. Uh, some things are a couple of years behind because of the pandemic and for example, accident and fatalities, they tend to lag behind for a whole host of reasons. You figure, well, Hey, if a person is dead, the man's dead. Well, now what's the debate? Well, now it's, or if someone gets hurt, they get hurt that word. They, oh, okay. Well, guess what? They have to compile, right? If you remember injuries are reported on a calendar year and companies go and they report things the next year now it's electronic for under certain circumstances and it takes time for these things to get into the system the other thing is is that things may be getting litigated right there may be litigation there may be other things involved where hey was that injury a workplace injury or was it not so there's lag time so uh right now it's 2022 right beginning fiscal year 2023 some of the statistics still didn't have to come out for 2021. Haven't been updated, 20, right? Definitely not 2022. So these things lag behind. But one of the things that do not lag behind are the cited workplace safety standards. But these numbers too may be resolved because well, as we all know, if you're a safety consultant, this stuff tends to get contested, litigated, uh, negotiated, 
all of the above, right, goes into this. And I'm not claiming that there's any type of, uh, you know, any type of, you know, ominous, no, negative things where you can't trust people. And that's not what I'm claiming. I'm just claiming that, you know, some of this stuff may be lagging and has to be, you know, solved. So I'm going to uh, go through these 10 items and we'll see where we go on here. I'll comment on each one of them. First, uh, number 10, right? Machine guarding, 1910 to 12, 1910.212, 1,370 violations, uh, citations. Remember, these are citations when OSHA shows up. What's going on out there when OSHA is not around? Uh, that's, you know, it's, no, it's a nightmare. So machine guarding, uh, 1910 to 212. That's usually where you have an older piece of machinery and someone loses the guards or the guards are removed because uh, it's perceived that it's harder to uh, operate the machine with guards. They may be missing. Employees don't even know in some cases that there are guards. So for example, table saws, and uh, right? Normally they're not on any of my projects that I'm on, a table saw. So we're on, oh, I'm with another auditor and he says, hey, uh, Jimmy, you know, that uh, table saw there. Is there a guard on there? And I said, you know, I really don't know too much about table saws. Let me, and let me go and look. No guarding on there. So we have these things called QR codes that are on, on a lot of new equipment. And what you do is you take your phone and you scan the QR code and it takes you to the instruction manual. And I was able to get the instruction manual right in the field on that table saw. And sure, sure enough, there was missing several guards. Right, so if you're a safety professional and you're not a carpenter like me, I'm no, I came up through the environmental field, I'm not a carpenter and scientific investigations, acts investigations, all that stuff, and trainer, not familiar, but guess what? I learned something that had guards and we went and resolved the issue. Now, another reason, uh, guards, uh, and I had family members that worked. A family member that worked at a printing uh, uh, facility. If you worked for Comlux Coatings, and a company that's been absorbed by Sherwin Williams, often those guards had a plexiglass or real glass of yours on there. What happens? They become, uh, over the years, they become uh, uh, cloudy, they become uh, deplasticize. They're not clear. They're oh, become clear. And then they go to opaque. Guess what? You can't see what you're doing. So what do they do? Hey, you know, uh, they take them off so they can see what they're doing, right? That's where the incentive is. The incentive isn't working safe, especially 25 years ago. The incentive is, uh, the incentive is, uh, uh, getting the job done. That's where your focus is. So the, the guards may not be used. Uh, another one is with grinders, table grinders, where the table grinder, uh, the rest, right? Where you have the rest has to be within one eighth of an inch of the table of the uh, uh, grinding wheel. That grinding wheel gets worn down. That rest never gets adjusted. And now you're dealing with a nip point. It's another one. Uh, 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 
could be a lot of different things. Personal, number nine, PPE, personal protective equipment. Then this is in construction, 1926.102, 1,401 uh, violations or citations. That's eye and face protection. So what are you going to see with eye and face protection? Basically, people wearing the not wearing it, there's a lot of these, wearing the improper ones. So what are what do I see? Obviously, you see people not wearing uh, eye protection for whatever reason. And what does it have to be? It has to be ANSI Z87 approved. American National Standards Institute Z87 approved. So you got people not wearing that. Face shields. Face shields are more often because of welding. So they don't have the correct welding face shield. So let's say that for, uh, so it depends on what, what you're doing. If you're going to be oxyacetylene welding or gas welding, your shading may be, depending on what you're doing, you got to look this up between three and five. If you're starting to use arc welding, guess what? Now you got 10 or more is usually what it is. Not all the time. You got some, no, 789 and no, some 789 and up to 15. So uh, again, what are you doing? Let's say that you're going out and you're using a grinding wheel or you don't need an arc uh, protection or you don't need shading. When would you need that? Maybe you're using a chop saw. Maybe you're using something else. You know, gotta have face protection. The other thing is one of the common mistakes is that uh, individuals feel that a face shield alone gives you eye protection. And I can attest, uh, one of the most common injuries for my father, who, no, God rest his soul, one of the common, most common injuries that he, they were seeing at Western Electric where he worked in Kearney, New Jersey, and AT&T Technologies and Clark, both not there anymore, uh, was eye injuries in the 70s and in the 60s where people wore a face shield and they didn't wear safety glasses. Remember, 60s, pre-OSHA. So he always made sure, and he taught me, if you're going to be doing anything where you need a face shield, put safety glasses on or goggles, depending on what you're doing. One of the first things. Powered, and, uh, and so that's, uh, oh, I'm skipping ahead. So eye protection also. What we're finding out is gasketed or self-sealing eyewear is the way to go. My opinion, my professional opinion. And as we all know, Everybody, opinions are like noses. Everybody has one and they all smell, except for my brother-in-laws, right? Fall protection, training requirements. All right. That was a little joke there, Donald. All right. Powered industrial trucks. Uh, I'm sorry. Number eight, fall protection, training requirements. People just aren't getting trained uh, or they're getting trained on the wrong things. And this is also a construction issue. So this is what I see. People uh, need, need training on fall protection. They need have the fall protection hierarchy of controls, uh, which are a slightly different than the regular hierarchy of controls where you can have a safety monitor under certain conditions. Those, right? And uh, this is a, a classic one. So let's say that you have roofers, and there you are using a, a cart, a tie-off cart, a trolley, tie-off trolley, tool cart to tie off. And that, by the way, there are types that you can tie off to. They're designed for it. 
under certain circumstances. When you send somebody out to a training class, so you're getting them from someone else who had, oh yeah, I have credentials for uh, fall protection training. The question is, is it on that specific piece of equipment? Is it on specifically, if you, and I'm, I'll mention a couple of things. So are you using Miller equipment and your DVIs and you, they were trained on DVI solo equipment, slightly different. Did they have just a compliance harness and now you're giving them a $400 Cadillac harness with all different D-rings? Is that, are they properly trained? That's what I see happening is people are not properly trained on the equipment that they are using. Often, they're not trained at all. Where do you see that? This is what happens, especially in my neck of the woods. There's a lot of, been a lot of construction over the last 10 years. They get day laborers. I don't know where they get some of these folks. Do you know how to do a roof? Yeah, I know how to get a roof. Jump on the back of the truck. And then what happens? They jump on the back of the truck and... They go to work. God knows what they could do. Yeah, they work on roofs. I have pictures of them No, on a uh, high-pitched roof, no fall protection, holding on by a rope, and OSHA is sitting right there taking uh, pictures and, so, you know, everything else. Now, every, every time I see an OSHA vehicle on the side of the road, I'm going to look. Uh, powered industrial trucks, number seven. That's 1910-178. And they have, and I've, Forget what it is in uh, construction, but it's basically the same. Uh, it's the same identical uh, situation. You have people out there. How much does it cost, and how much time is it to train send someone out for training on a powered industrial truck, aka forklift, or it could not only a forklift. There are others. Not takes about a day if you're going to do legitimate training from scratch. Well, what happens? They hire people that got trained somewhere else. And then they, okay, well, we're going to get on, you know, uh, they don't know how to operate the equipment or they think that they know how to operate the equipment. Powered industrial trucks, a big issue. What's the number one thing when there is an injury or an accident with the powered industrial truck? What's the first thing us safety people ask for? Come on, you know what it is. It is the checklist. When was the last time that was inspected? And this is what happens. It may have nothing to do with the accident. It may have nothing to do with Wuvno, what, what happened. But, and they use it as a leading indicator that if you don't even have a checklist, look, you can't work here. You know, you don't even have a checklist. It's the number one thing. That's often what this is. Checklist. Seat belts. Not wearing seat belt. Unbalanced load. Lack of maintenance. Uh, improper use, uh, not running into things. All of that goes with powered industrial trucks. Lockout, tagout. That is for the de-energizing of equipment. So uh, there, that can be any number of things. You're going in, you're in a permit-required confined space. You have to make sure the equipment on in the space will not turn on. Often what happens is people don't uh, lock out or tag that out, de-energize it. There is no verification procedure in there. One of my clients did a external audit. They brought in external auditors. Wasn't uh, ha- didn't have anything to do with the work I did. Right, I was working for another contractor. Was well, the facility owner? 
and they audited their own people. And what they found out was 47% of the t- time they were doing lockout tagout procedures correctly. What were they seeing? No lockout tagout procedures at all being followed because, hey, I'm the only one working on it. I'm the only one in charge. They saw where a, an oil tank would have two lockouts. One lockout would be for uh, one piece of equipment of lent, uh, the uh, coming into it, and the other lockout was for the blanking system or the physical disconnect, also known as air capping. People put the locks on the wrong stuff. They don't read. People are in a hurry. Very bad. They don't read. Here's another one. Number five, scaffolding. 2058. So now we're getting into the fall hazards, right? Number eight started again, but now we're getting into the next ones. Number five, scaffolding. Number four, ladders. 1926, 1053. Both of them are construction, right? And it's basically, they're related in a, in a manner of speaking. What do I see with scaffolding? Not inspected by a confident person, number one. Not, assess, uh, not assembled correctly because there is no confident person. And number three, not being used correctly because of number one and two. There's no confident person, not assembled correctly. I was called out to a project uh, by a client. Uh, we were not manning the job. We were not in charge of scaffolds. They said, Jimmy, come on out there. I went out there. It was a seven-story high scaffold, right? It was tied in, oh, fine, meaning attached to the building the way it was supposed to be and stable, but none of the screws were tied down. So you go up one level and everything is fine and dandy. When you start to get up to two or three levels and the whole thing's shaking, I said, screw it, I'm not going up there. That's the, that, that, that's failed inspection, don't use it. So that, uh, what, some of the other things, mud sills, right? Where you have at the bottom, the, with the jack stands on a suspended scaffold, the mud sills not being in there. Let's say you're going to be, um, it's not level. Climbing on scaffold members. You're not supposed to do that unless it's designed for that. You're supposed to have a stair tower, ladder, something like that. On there, you're not supposed to climb the sides of the scaffold, unless, right? Unless it's designed for it. Suspended scaffolding. What are we looking at? Again, a lot of people, they go out, uh, yeah, I'm a scaffolding confident person. I got scaffolding confident person training, and what happens? Well, it's not for that scaffold because I'm told there are something like 57 different types of scaffolds out there. Then, right, and now inspection, training, all of that goes into that. Ladders, you're going to say, well, uh, and from the mouths of babes, my daughter says to me when she's about four, Daddy, how come you have a ladder in the car? I said, well, I was doing ladder training, teaching people how to use a ladder safely. She says, you mean people don't know how to use a ladder? I said, well, honey, they know how to climb the ladder, but necessarily use it safely. It's a different thing. What are we looking at? An easy gimme. I, I called up a ladder manufacturer and I started when I got qualified for fall protection confident person and the, uh, and the uh, person goes out there uh, and I, I called up the, the uh, ladder company. I said, hey, uh, I lost my train of thought there for a second. I said, I'm looking for 
instructions on a ladder, how to use a ladder. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I'm looking for instructions because I'm doing fall protection, competent person training where we're going to discuss ladders. And the person says to me, Jimmy, that's not such a stupid question. The labels on a ladder are the instruction manual. So we don't have instructions. That's what the labels are. And I said, but you have checklists. She said, yeah, the checklists are basically to tell, to make sure, verify that the stickers are on it. If you look at them, all of our checklists, first thing, labels. So real simple. If you have a ladder and you don't have labels on it, it does not meet inspection criteria. You're not supposed to use it. Real simple for a portable ladder. Right, and that's what you're dealing with in construction. They're portable ladders for the majority of the time. So if it does not have, doesn't meet everything on that inspection criteria and that checklist, and you have checklists and you check and you check them regularly, and there's a record if you're a confident person doing that. Guess what? You got yourself a little problem. You got yourself an ocean citation, and it also deals with use. Does someone how climb up the ladder, facing the ladder, or away from the ladder? working from a ladder, appropriate ladder. All that goes in there. Number three, respiratory protection. I suspect that this has to do with COVID, a lot of this stuff. Wrong respirators, no industrial hygiene audit, not following uh, the crystalline silica standard, anything like that. So respiratory protection standard, 1910-134. Remember, that applies across the board to all areas of OSHA. That applies to maritime, that applies to agriculture, that applies to construction, that applies to general industry. Anything to deal, all those regulations, all those areas of the regulation point to respirators, all right? They all use 1910-134. What do I see? Wrong respirator, wrong respirator cartridges, no fit test when you need one. No medical clearance when you need one. Uh, uh, wrong size rest, wrong cartridges. Why are you using? This is a, another one. OSHA has the authority to go up to one of your employees and says to him, hey, uh, can I talk to you? They can refuse to talk to OSHA. Anybody could, right, under our Constitution. But normally that doesn't happen. And they say to them, oh, I see that you're wearing a respirator. Yeah, yes. How come you're wearing a respirator? What are the hazards? And what do you hear? You hear silence. You hear nothing. Guess what? Now that's an OSHA citation because they're going to go along to all your other employees, and they're going to ask that are wearing respirators, well, what do you know about the respiratory? Uh, well, guess what? Now that's the citation because you didn't train your employees. You might have trained them, but you might not have. That's why when I, uh, when I do the training and when I administer a program, an entire program for a company, I make sure that everybody signs off on documentation stating that they not only receive respiratory protection training, but why they are wearing a respirator. It's extremely important because this is the other thing. 
you might you're you have a government official. You have somebody there with a nice OSHA ID badge from the Department of Labor. Your employer employee says, "Man, if I say the wrong thing, my guys, no, I'm going to get fired. I'm going to get into trouble." That's not an unusual uh, uh, thing for an employee to think. It may be true. It may not be true. You might not have ever mentioned that, but you know they're they're loyal to you. They don't want to screw you over. So now they draw a blank. Oh, I don't know. They got all nervous. But guess what? If you could go and you could show the OSHA uh, uh, compliance officer, these are our training records. See, they signed off on everything. This is what the training was, and it helps if you also have them recorded and everything else. Because I used to record this stuff all the time. Guess what? Now it's in there, and you're able to go and document it. Well, yeah, they were maybe okay. Now, yeah, we trained them that maybe we need more Mister Compliance Officer because they can't go and, uh, uh, you know, they can't go and uh, do this, right? They they don't know. They don't know we have to do a refresher here. Yeah, that's better. Was there an industrial hygiene audit conducted? If you're in the in this crystalline silica standard. And there's a table in there. I believe it's table two that lists all of the things that you need to do based on the, what your work you're doing and the exposure and everything else. That's all in the respiratory protection standard. Uh, uh, let's say you're dealing with lead, 1926.62 in construction. Before there is an exposure assessment, depending on what you're doing, there's a required respiratory protection. Right? Do you have that? Do you have that data? All that stuff goes into all of this. It's not a simple process. That's why you need a competent person uh, uh, overseeing this. Don't think that you're uh, just going to go and say, hey, guys, here's a, 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 an imitation dust mask because this is what ha- I see happening. People ha- have the inclination, getting back to what we said before, hey, I this little imitation dust mask is going to protect me and everybody else from the most deadly virus that's ever existed, it'll certainly protect me from crystalline silica, respirable crystalline silica. That's what we see, what is happening nowadays. Now you're going to say, well, Jim, I'm going to give someone a dust mask. It could be rated or it could be an N95 filtering face fees respirator, or it could be one of those imitation dust masks. And I shared this story several times when I come to this. At my mother-in-law's funeral, it was the height of COVID. One of the pallbearers carrying the uh, casket down the church stairs had a imitation dust mask on. Had it had a mask, non-rated, you know, imitation surgical mask. I think it was blue, but anyway, he put it on, and he had a seizure. He was not medically approved to wear anything. That's a problem. Something else is this. I don't need to send, pardon me, I don't need to send my, my guy to the uh, get a physical because he's 19 years old and he's healthy. And I said, well, you're a doctor? No, but I know. What could be wrong with a 19-year-old? I said, I got into a old-fashioned pissing match with this guy. 
He, my client, said, told him this is a subcontract. Hey, you got to go send your guy out for a physical. He's at a hazardous waste site. He's going to be here for 90 days and everything else. He's going to definitely will be in a restaurant. Get him a respiratory, blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. We all go out there. He gets the rest. And what do you think happens? He gets back to his physical and he fails his physical. What, what, what was his issue? He was a chronic vapor. He was inhaling all the time. Yes, he was like a chain smoker with the uh, the you know with the e-cigarettes and everything else. I talked to the doctor. He says, uh, "Jim, can you talk to the doctor?" I said, "With your permission and with you on speakerphone, uh, the whole thing, I'll have no problem talking because I don't want to violate HIPAA laws or anything." So we get his doctor on the phone. I put it on speaker and I said, to "The doctor, what you know? What's going on here?" 19 years old, right? Now, I, no, he's, by the way, he's on the phone here with me. He's on speakerphone. Now, you know, he's having problems understanding this and why he failed. He said, well, dude, I'm seeing this all the time from the people doing the vaping and everything else. And now, you know, I, I imagine it got worse with cannabis being legalized. Well, let's go, uh, no, he, no, he, he's got, he's 19 years old, but he's got the, like, he's breathing like he's a 70 year old. I said, well, that's problematic. And he said, yeah, that's problematic. So what we ended up doing was uh, he quit vaping because he knew he would be missing out on a lot of moolah there. It really negatively impact his uh, living there. Right? He was getting really good money for a 19-year-old for doing this job. When he went back about a week later, he ended up passing. And to my knowledge, he's stayed off of vaping, cigarettes, everything. So that goes to show you, just because someone's young, they could have other issues. They could have asthma. They could have hypertension. They could have uh, heart issues. They could have multiple things. They could have had cancer. And this happened also. We A guy had cancer, and he ended up getting uh, failed on the exam. Why? Because the cancer was specific to, uh, no, uh, to his kidneys or his liver, I forget which one it was, and that's what filters out a lot of contaminants. He couldn't be on the job for that. Number two, hazard communication, 1910-1200. This used to be all the time, right? That's always up towards the top. What is that? So that's basically training people on the chemical hazards in the workplaces, safety data sheets, uh, the GHS system, what the chemical hazards are or anything else. This is where it may not be specific enough or it may not be uh, 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 current. They're still working with MSDSs rather than SDSs, safety data sheets. They're not GHS compliant. It could be any number of things. No training for the uh, worker. No uh, things of that nature, Right. Then you have, uh, that's usually what it is. And what is there? It's real simple. How do you do, uh, become uh, compliant in this? And you have to work with your environmental uh, compliance person on here. What I always tell everybody is clean out their entire facility. Get rid of chemicals that you don't need for whatever reason. If they're like a single-use chemical, use it on a job a year ago, two years, ten years ago. Just get rid of all these chemicals. Because then, if you only use the chemicals that you need, then 
your SCS list and your HazardCom program gets a lot simpler at that point, usually, number one. Number two is you have a procurement system in place where all of the chemicals are purchased through the main office or through one or two people or are only on an approved list. This way, you can guarantee you have all the safety data sheets for only the chemicals that you're going to use and no more. If you do know, now there's a quick story where there was a, uh, this back in the 90s, one company I told this to when I was working for a company called Envirogenics, one of their, uh, uh, one of their uh, clients, I said, look, I told the person on site handling safety, hey, this is what you want to do, all right? Uh, you want to get rid of, clean out your truck before you go to this facility in central Jersey because they're going to rip it apart. They're going to be looking for, in those days, MSDSs. Yeah, and what was his, uh, what do you think his uh, reaction was? Any guess? Oh, that'll never happen. What do you think happened? That was on a Friday. I told him that. What do you think on Monday morning happened? On Monday morning, they showed up to the facility. They had two security guards on either side of the truck. They pulled them off to the side with his truck, and they cleaned it out. Guess what? Broken tools, broken equipment, and chemicals on there they did not have material safety data sheets for. Right, 90s, material safety data sheets. Guess what? Uh, at that point, uh, my boss was like, yeah. He was like, good job, Jim. You did a really good job. Now, for the number one citation for fiscal year 2022, our general requirements of fall protection, that's not using the equipment, not using it properly, and everything else that goes into it. Now, there is a simple solution to all of this. You hire us. Any one of our Safety FM, anyone in our Safety FM family has, no, a lot of us do fall protection training. I, for one, do fall protection. It's one of my main pieces of things that I do is fall protection training. And I also do design, purchasing, and everything else that goes into fall protection. And that's what I do. Well, again, it's the whole program. Stuff's not inspected. Improper fall protection. It's not inspected according to manufacturers, uh, 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 manufacturers' uh, uh, standards. It's not no, stu- just stuff not done. Old equipment that's broken, that's frayed, that's burned, chemical damage, sun damage, uh, the improper fitting, doesn't fit right. All of this stuff, the I mean, the list goes on and on and on. That's 5,260 violations. That's over double, more than double, of HASCOM, which is number two. So fall protection is a big thing. Fall protection and same level and falls from height, which is what fall protection they're talking about, falls from height in construction, are the number one killers in the construction industry other than motor vehicle accidents. So it's one of their focuses for OSHA is always the fall protection. It's an easy, this is like an easy, you know what I say, easy gimme on this, right? Meaning that you know, they could go out there and get this no problem at all. 
So we're wrapping things up here for Safety Wars. This is Jim Polzel. We'll be back here tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And where we will continue to fight that safety war that we all talk about. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.